What's up, bookworms? This is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. So it features a chat with Gaurav Mahanti. We're talking about his debut, uh, Sons of Darkness, that comes out on January 9th. This was a really cool conversation with Gaurav. Um, we both geeked out together on our love for Game of Thrones. And I really um, I loved hearing about his writing journey and his background and just how he brought um, his whole experience and how he brought this story to the world and what he has planned for the future. Um, but without further ado, here is Gaurav. Okay, today we've got Gaurav Mohanty here. We're talking about Sons of Darkness. That's his debut novel that comes out in the United States on January 9th. But if for everybody else in the rest of the world, the books are joining me today. Uh, this book was fantastic, engaging, crazy, dramatic, entertaining, all that good stuff. Um, and I, it was very long, but it was it was worth it. Everything you squeezed in there. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm excited to, to dig deeper today. Thank you so much, Megan, for having me. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. And I'm glad that you enjoyed the book. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, good things take time. So I'm hoping that the length kind of, you know, makes up for content. So yeah, right. Really- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's so that's a good way to look at it. Um, so this is good. This might be a little tricky, but if you could, uh, can you please give like a little a spoiler free summary of the book um, so that people can follow along with the conversation? Oh, absolutely. I've done so many pictures of the book, I think now memorized by heart. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sons of Darkness is something which you get like when you combine the political intrigue of a Game of Thrones with, let's say, in quotes, the healthy relationship of a gone girl and then spread it over an ancient Indian landscape. Uh, in its essence, Sons of Darkness is a dark reimagination of a mythological poem, the longest epic poem in the world, by the way, the Mahabharata. Uh, which is like Troy on drugs. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> this Sons of Darkness basically takes up the villainous characters, the evil characters, and reimagines this epic from their perspective. So what Madeline Miller did with Cersei or a song of Achilles, you know, looks at Troy from the perspective of shadowed characters. I look at the epic of Mahabharata from the perspective of uh, the black characters, so as to speak, because, you know, that's what I wanted to bring about in India, a grimdark fantasy where the line between good and evil is completely blurred. So that was the whole idea with Sons of Darkness. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I'm not familiar with um like the, the Indian like lore. Cause I know this was, yeah, this was based on um some legend or mythology, what have you, um, which I think is really cool. And you definitely, it, it was a big undertaking just from what I could tell, just from reading uh, the book. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of characters. There's a lot of drama, a lot of, um you know, relationships that where you could tell there's like history there. Um, and, you know, you did a good job of like catching readers up to speed. But, you know, you, it, it took me a while to like get the hang of it. Be just I think just because I'm not familiar with the language or like those, you know, syllables and the, and the string of words and the terms and stuff like that. But, um, you know, with the type of reader I am, I think like just repeti- repetition helped and, and really familiarizing like, you know, who who's a part of which team, so to speak, who's a part of which side, uh, who's still looking for allies, who's like at risk of being betrayed, things like that. So it was very, um, you know, and, and and you mentioned like Game of Thrones, like I, I could definitely see that inspiration for sure. But I think it was I, I really appreciate it because I, I I'm a sucker for Game of Thrones. I'm I'm upset with I don't I don't know when the rest of the books are gonna come out. I'm just like you giving up. Hope. Behind shows. Yeah, I love those. I love the banners. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I, I appreciate. Sorry, sorry. Go on. 
Oh, no, it's fine. I was just saying, yeah, I appreciate it. Um, cause the, it's a big undertaking and, um, it's, you got to move a lot of pieces around. Um, and I kind of, we'll, we'll get into it, but, um, can you go over like your background and stuff and kind of like, you know, either professional or personal and how it relates, like how it led you to bring this story to the world? Right. So uh, I'm a, by profession, I'm a lawyer. Uh, I was working in a law firm for the last six years. Uh, but when it comes to the book, I think every child in India kind of grows up listening to the tales from our law, from our grandparents. It's like a tradition that we all follow across families. And this is something which we have grown up with. Indian mythology is something which is huge and vast and somehow not let me put it this way, not commercialized on the world platform as much as Greek mythology, even though they share a lot of common traits because of cross-section trade and, you know, culture intermixing and so on and so forth. Uh, and But for me, when I was growing up with this and my interest in history is profound, I started exploring the aspect that how the same mythology, uh, while I call it Indian mythology, it was actually the mythology of the entire Indian subcontinent. Like you have a different version of the Mahabharata in Southeast Asia, something different in Sri Lanka, something different in Bangladesh. It's amazing that this heritage which we all share. Mm. Uh, so I really deep dived into this and, you know, did a lot of scholarship study across different Mahabharatas to kind of understand whether this character that I'm looking for, because my goal was to look for women warriors. I think that's where I started out with, like, have some badass women, uh, yeah. you know, who are wielding weapons. And that was something which was a major driving force, especially when I read about Brienne of Tarth in... Uh, uh, yeah. Game of Thrones, as well as Arya Stark, and so I wanted to look for similar characters in our law, and I found tiny, like they were footnote characters, so as to speak. So, Sons of Darkness was my opportunity to bring them to the forefront. So, in terms of, uh, but but you do know that there's a murder trial there in Sons of Darkness, so that's where my law experience kind of came into picture, uh, and I tried to bring that experience into it. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. So, I think I read somewhere that it took you like ten years to to finish this book. No, five right? years. Five years. Okay. I did feel like 10 years. Uh, okay. You know, <laughs> like when I look back at it, I'm like, wow. <laughs> but uh, because I was balancing with the law firm life and they oh, did not yeah. exaggerate on TV shows, like we have a, like a 10 to 10 is a very good day. Like, okay, wow, you got done with your job very early. Uh, so, but with that, like, uh, you know, law is a very black and white world. So this whole writing of hobby kind of brought some color into it. So I was really happy with the intermixing of these things yeah yeah oh i love that like just kind of a way like you got to find something to like some outlet right because like you have to earn you have to earn a living and you can't yeah. <laughs> from what i know about talking to authors it's kind of like well that's you know it's really hard to get to point where that's you only have to do that and and those are like not yeah it doesn't happen that often and whenever the judge tortured me by not listening to my decisions i used to torture my characters in my book so it was like a yeah. good balance of energies there so that <laughs> right like whatever you're like just a, a case didn't go your way or you're frustrated just well, i'm just gonna throw some crap at this character <laughs> right now <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah. that's pretty much my writing process it was <laughs> yeah right um so i so this is your debut congrats um i bet it's been like crazy for you um both because you're releasing it to the rest of the world and then now in the u.s upcoming so um i kind of want to explore your experiences as like uh, this whole process of like not just writing but like you know the whole publishing process things like that any big lessons learned um you know what what kind of stood out to you i just want to explore like your experience with all that 
Absolutely. So when it came to publishing Sons of Darkness in India, it was very difficult. I never even thought that it's going to reach a world platform. I wanted fantasy to be a popular genre in India itself, where it is somewhat dormant. And I remember when I went out to publishers, they enjoyed the tale, but they all wanted me to split my first book into two parts because they're like, okay, this might be too fat a book for Indian audience. And I remember, you know, in my present, I made presentations to publishers where I listed down the word count of Eye of the World, uh, the Game of Thrones books, the Joe Abercrombie books. And look, again, this, my book is but a baby in terms of word count. But, uh, (laughs) you know, I was having this conversation. Finally, I found a publisher who decided to have a hybrid arrangement with me. And I'm sorry, this is going to be a long conversation. No, but, that's fine. Uh, right. <laughs> <I think laughs> <it would> be... <laughs> so, uh, and because hybrid arrangements have become common where the publisher took in the cost of printing the book and distributing it, but everything else, marketing, cover, everything else fell on me. And, uh, but in return, they didn't ask me to cut off any word count or something. But what happened after that was Sons of Darkness somehow really picked up with the audience outside India. You know, it just... You know, you know how these things are like fourth wing became like an overnight viral thing. I became like yeah. a mini viral thing around that time. And then Sons of Darkness caught the eye of my agent, uh, who was, it was Oliver Sheeta. And we connected and then, you know, he got me Bloomsbury and Head of Zeus. And from there on, it's like the rest of history, so as to speak. So that has yeah. been the process. In terms of lessons which I learned. Ah, wow. I mean, it's like a graph, you know, you I mean, you keep getting rejected again and again, and you're struggling. But when things start working out for you, it's just going to happen within a matter of few months. So because I think I finished writing around 2018. And uh, I've been trying to figuring out a publisher scene for the last four, five, four years. But then in okay. one year, everything happened, you know, I got published yeah. twice. And then I got an agent. Uh, and then I got a Russian translation deal as well with Esmo. So all things just came about together in like one go. So, yeah, I felt That's like so I drank fun. that uh, lucky potion from Harry Potter, you know. Yeah. <laughs> name, but yeah, something like that. Yeah. So like, it, you can't possibly that be that talented. It has to be like luck, right? It's like... <laughs> I think I was discussing this with a fellow author who spoke about how luck is also so important in any endeavor, not just writing. But all so luck is like a lightning strike. But what you can do as an author is increase the surface area where the luck can strike. So in this case, the fact that I reached out to the broken binding, for example, to ask them because the cover of the book is its is a great strength. Uh, everyone loves the cover of the book, and that's something which I remember I engaged. Like I searched everywhere, and luckily Michaela Alcaino, who was working with traditional publishers, had just left her job. So she was freelancing and somehow it clicked and she made this cover and I knew that I could use the cover to my own strength. So I reached out to uh, book designers who do customized book editions. And this was before I got the head of Zeus and Bloom 3D. And while we were chatting, he knew my agent like before we had connected and some other world came around together and we met. So I got very lucky the fact that I got my agent, but I realized the work which I put in was building a contact and building the relationship with book people in London. You know, because I'm in India, so I, I, I can't be physically there. So mm-hmm. I did my best to use all the email facilities that were available to me to maximize my outreach, you know, without entering into the spam folder. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. You have to kind of uh, figure out the network, right? And just and, and figure out like who, you know, kind of check all the boxes like, like on your to-do list. And that's really cool that it kind of all happened where, oh, 
you know, these people already know each other. It's kind of like maybe those little nuanced like conversations didn't have to be so, uh, you know, you didn't have to fight so hard for it because a lot of pieces were already in place. That's really cool. That worked out for you. I think, you know, the universe was just telling you that this book needs uh, their, you know, Game of Thrones for Indian audiences. And then the rest of the world is just like, wait a second. Like this is, we think this is cool too. <laughs> you know, I really hope so because see, like even when you were talking about um, initial the initial difficulty at reading these names, and then now let's say some Indian chaps are having a conversation with you in a bar, and suddenly you will cite Satya Bhama and Krishna, and the names will just flow out of you because you have you know it's about repetition, yeah. right? Is the same thing with ha- which happened with East Asian fantasy as well as African fantasy. Names which were initially difficult to pronounce because we are so used to Don, John, Rob, Rap, uh, you know, <laughs> like So, you know, I think it expands our dialect as well while introducing us to new worlds. I think that's the whole idea of fantasy when it's moving out from traditional European feudalism castle inspired worlds to like, you know, you have your RF Kuang's Poppy War, for example. It's like a great example that I can take. Like she used Chinese myths to kind of create her fantasy, but then it became such a huge success for her because I think mm. everyone is hungry for something new. And I hope that I can give them like an exotic taste of South Asia. Yeah, absolutely. I th- Yeah, you're definitely right. I think a lot of people, especially that sentiment that where people want something new um, and just like I, I read, I read so much no matter what. So um, stuff like this, where it's like a fantasy world, obviously there's a lot of fantasy going on out there, but the fact that it's based on, um, you know, kind of already established uh, legend, like cultural lore that so many people like just might not be familiar with. I think that in itself is like, could grab their attention for sure. Cause I was like, yeah, when I was reading this, I, <laughs> I was reading it digitally. And so um, there were so many times where not even that, it's just like, it could be set on where um, the geographic location of all these like kingdoms or groups or whatever, where I wanted to like flip back and look at the map, like, wait a second, like, okay, so, you know, they're in the middle and they're surrounded and wait, they're trying to go here. And so, but it's, you know, the same with um, the the families and the sigils and all that. And it's like, you know, who's on whose team, things like that, where it's like, I, I kept wanting to flip back because I did read it and I did like, I, I, you know, I read the names and I read like the titles and all that, but I was like, I'm I'm not going to get any context until I start reading. So things like that are helpful. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's it's when you keep reading it and then you can you get more of the context, you get more of the background and and you understand more so of who the players are and how they relate to each other. Um, but then you, you don't want to spoon feed the audience. Right. You don't want to spoon feed the readers because like you're you're kind of trickling in these little like happenstance until the reader's like, oh, shit, like that's him or that's her or wait, you know, so that things like that, like you could still have those elements and it's just making sure that everything's consistent with this world that you're building. Um, In addition to you, you know, imagining what, you know, for example, Krishna, who he might've been like, or what his background might've been, who these players, who these characters, uh, what their lives might've been like, or at least this is like your interpretation, your imagination of it. Um, So yeah, that's absolutely right. I no, I I appreciated it. And and it, it, you know, I like, challenging the brain my brain and i i always say people you know say to people like i like the as cliche as it sounds it's like there's so many stories out there and there's so many like different ways to tell them and not just like across generations but like a regionally or geographically across the world too it's like i i'm a sucker for historical fiction just because it's like oh 
there's one, this could be one person's life during World War II working on the Manhattan Project, for example. You know, it's like, and and little do we know, like, how many people's lives were just kind of ordinary, but they were pushed into extraordinary situations, yeah. things like that. So I, I, I just, I just found this really fascinating and you just did it so well where it wasn't, you could tell, I could tell that you, you took a lot of care, but then also you seem to have fun. And like, I, because the reader, then I, I, myself as a reader had fun too, where I was just like, I, I just want to see what's going to go down. Like, I just want this to like, I just want to get, I want to finish because I want to know what's going to happen. or like the final showdown and all that. Cause you, and it's, it's very like action packed is very good, but it's all, I don't know. And I think you did it all. Um, and you know, I'm going to ramble while I like go through all my well, questions I love it. and stuff. <laughs> Thank you so much, Megan. That's really sweet. And the fact that you like historical fiction is something so important to me as well, because now you know these places, Mada and Hastinapur, they exist because this is also historical fantasy. So now if you come to India, you will, Mathura still exists, you know, it is considered a holy place. Hastinapur, the name doesn't exist, but people know of this place. So it's like while you're reading Sons of Darkness, you're also getting a GK primer, like a general knowledge primer on medieval and ancient India and these places which still exist. So I think it just um, to get there, for example, this map is something which I drew on something which is called Incarnate. Um, it's like an online software where you can create maps. And I remember scouring through like at least a dozen maps from ancient texts about these routes which these kings took or how the rivers flowed around that point of time, etc, etc. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people say that Mahabharata is based around the time of the Harappan Mohenjo-daro civilization, which is around 3500 BC. So again, get those maps and create this thing. So being a history enthusiast myself, like you, it was... It was an enjoyable process. It was not a chore at all. I was having fun. It was like a drawing competition for me. So I think when I started having fun, I was hoping that it reflects uh, in the book itself because the idea was not to just to channel the George R. R. Martin in me, but also the Woodhouse in me, you know, to kind of <laughs> marry these two worlds where you have the dry wit of the Britishers, let me put it that way, uh, along with the brutality and the political intrigue of uh, Game of Thrones. So I think I wanted to kind of wed these two concepts. So that's why that dry humor was really, really important. And that kind of, oh, yeah. because I do some comedy on the side. So uh, yeah, I could tell, I know even with characters where I'm like, I don't know, I, they're interesting, but I don't think I like them that much. It was still, I was laughing at the things. Maybe it's because I didn't like them that much. It was still laughing at the things that they were going through and their reactions to it. Like, I think like Shikuni, like a couple of times he was like, you gotta be fucking joking. Like, <laughs> cause it's, 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 it's so, it's so, it speaks to his character. Cause he's like in his motivations where he, he's, he's really careful about who he's talking to and how he's talking and like to put the pieces in place to, to protect things that like you know are important to him like kind of self-serving but like also maybe in the big picture of things that that you know he's looking out for um members of his of his family but because it benefits him so it's but it's like really funny when all of that like that relies on other people doing what they need to do but that never happens like or it doesn't happen that often and that's a big risk like as long as this person who has no idea what's going what i'm up to as long as they're doing what i expect them to do then my plan will work fine but then when something's thrown up like turned upside down and something surprises him or throws him for a loop i think that's hilarious like very just very human like like he's just another person where he's just like oh fuck like <laughs> 
I think that's like that's great. I love the humor in it. Yeah, and then plus, like, I I want to get into. There's so many characters. Um, what? Uh, let me see here. So there are like characters and you do switch points of view. Um, what was that like? Was that like, how did you approach that? Because like, you know, you got to switch points of view and then you're writing from the point of view of, of you know, people of different ages and people of different genders. So I right. kind of want to like explore that and how how you approach that. Uh, absolutely. I mean, there is a pantheon of characters in Sons of Darkness in terms of, you know, a good mix of, as you beautifully put it, uh, ages and genders and whatnot. Uh, when I was writing across, I wanted their profiles to be as different from each other as possible because Mahabharata, like Troy, has a vast array of characters and all of them very deliciously dark. So I wanted to pick ones and also create new ones. For example, Mati, the pirate princess, um, as well as um, Nala, uh, the, you know, the Harry Potterish Arya Stark of Sons of Darkness. These are all original characters. These did not ex exactly exist in the main epic, but Krishna did exist. So I kind of intermixed both of these things. I also want to create my own world uh, rather than just stick with the characters who are there in the original epic. When I was writing their voices, I, I remember around this time, I came across Brandon Sanderson's YouTube classes on like how to write fantasy. Brandon Sanderson is fantastic. He's Absolutely. an amazing He's writer. And yeah. so kind of him to put those classes out there for free, you know, because yeah, yeah. he monetize it, but he hasn't done it. And uh, I mean, I really enjoyed it. And it really helped me because he told me how character voices work. So for me, it was very important to have, like when someone's reading Krishna and reading his witty lines and how he's a narcissistic person, you kind of understand that, okay, this is Krishna speaking. I hope I was able to achieve that. But while I was doing that, I was, okay, when it comes to Karna, it's someone I wish I was. Right. So I wish I was that idealistic and, you know, nice. So whenever I had to write his responses, I imagine that what I would have been if I were a nicer person. Uh, <laughs> when it comes to Krishna, it, that Krishna was a lot easier because it was like, oh, Krishna, whatever I'm going to respond, I'm going to write what Krishna does. Uh, similarly, when it came to Mati, I think I kind of took cues from what my brother is into acting. Uh, he does okay. theater. And he tells me about how you slip into the characters and, you know, how you kind of write notes in terms of what character, what is the, what are their motivations and how do they really think? And um, when you kind of make these notes on one page, the character voice really comes out. Like Mati is someone who has no conscience filter whatsoever. Like she doesn't weigh things on a scale. Of I know. I, 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 yeah, 